0: we shall get this started here this morning. We are in Luke. Luke chapter 6 verse 16 is where we're at today and where we have been at for a long time. We are just going through the book of Luke. We happen to come to one more apostle that's left on the list. When when you think of evil and wickedness, maliciousness when you think of men, who do you think of down through history? Well, the first one that usually pops in people's mind is Hitler, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you can also think of people like Mussolini and Mao Zedong and Stalin and Lenin and Saddam Hussein, kind of presently there, Idi Amin, and you go on. you know. You hear of people who have actually committed murders and serial killers and then the pedophiles. It's like these people are the worst of the worst, aren't they? The worst. And there is one that we will look at here. Those people would be considered to be influenced by by Satan. The one we're going to be looking at was influenced by Satan. This one man on this list here, this apostle list, uh, we wouldn't think of him being the worst kind of person. Uh, the reason is, is, he didn't murder anybody. He, didn't, he wasn't a mass murderer. He didn't kill millions like the Hitlers and, and all the other people that we mentioned. But I will tell you, uh, he's in a worse condition than anybody. This one man, he's equated with the worst of treachery. You think of treason uh, all throughout history. Nobody even names their children or their their baby boys Judas. Have you ever heard of that name in present day? There probably could be. I know there was a group called Judas Kiss <laughs> a rock group back in the seventies. Judas, Judas Priest. What did I say? Judas Yeah, there was something like a yeah, there was something like yeah, but Judas Priest is definitely one. Thank you there. And you know, it's it's kind of one of those subjects that people don't want to talk about, and I'm not really, you know, really heightened up to talk about this individual because of this terrible treason. We happened to be on him. We didn't finish the list last week. There's no way that he was going to fit in with the list that we had, and time was up. And now we have it for this week. And you say, how can you do a whole week on this one man? Well, there's so much information on this man. It's throughout the Gospels, even in the book of Acts. You know, I would say that most people, Christians or not, are familiar with the name Judas. How many unbelievers would would hear of that and kind of go, yeah, I've heard of Judas. They might get it confused a little bit, but I think it, it is kind of a bad name. It's really a good name. We'll explain that after a while, but you know, it's such a bad name. Nobody really names their children that. Can you imagine going to a Bible conference, and that Bible conference be about Judas. Have you ever heard of such a thing? You know, like a Ligonier conference or something like that? You know, a Piper conference? Shepherds conferences? I I don't think I've ever heard of any conferences doing that. Uh, You never really hear of any preachers really spending much time on it. You know, they get to this list, say Judas, and move on to the next part of the text. And it's like, well, we have to say something about him, and there's a lot here, so I guess we'll have to do it. It's a tragic story, so I can see why people would really avoid this. In in a way, it's almost like, well, this is not very uplifting, is it? Mm -hmm. But yet, it is here, and he played an important role in what he did, and I'll explain that later, uh, a role. Um, He's a solitary figure that stands out he's a wretch. His wretchedness there is because for three years he followed Christ. He listened to the powerful messages of the Gospel of the Kingdom from Jesus Christ God Himself. He saw His miracles, the signs, the wonders. I mean he was around it. like. Hardly anybody else in the history of mankind. And there were other apostles that were part of that, but it really wasn't until the Last Supper that it was really revealed that he was betraying Jesus, and Satan entered into Judas. That's a heavy, heavy phrase, there, isn't it? I think this is the model uh, epitome of human disaster. This is a horrifying, colossal failure that Judas does. Now, up until now, till this time of Judas here, you know, we've we've had a few weeks studying the the apostles, and I think it's been quite a blessing. That, you know, start off with Peter, and you see some of the downfalls of him, but you see some of the things that God had there, raw material, and you know, Christ molded that in that man and and by the time the Holy Spirit comes into him in the book of Acts he does amazing things that he didn't do before he did what he hadn't done before he spoke the way that he hadn't before and the same thing happened to the rest of the apostles whether we know much about them or whether we know nothing about them except their name and so they made an impact on the church of Jesus Christ didn't they they carried on the Gospel that that Jesus had done. It was the most sacred mission that one could ever do in the history of mankind. What an important position that they were in as these apostles. And they have one amongst them who is wretched. And his character is finally manifested and he shows how despicable that he is in his character and his actions. He had all the revelation of Christ he had full revelation, and he has full rejection of Jesus. That's the worst place that anybody could be. And this story of Judas, it's so dark. It's very dark. And it's against the backdrop of the brightest light that ever shone in the face of the world. It's that light of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. So you have the blackness of Judas and you have the brightest glory of Jesus Christ. And so you look at that and and you understand a little bit about the brilliance of Christ and the darkness of Judas. It's so clearly seen. This is the the foulest deed that uh, was, was ever done as far as a human being is concerned. And you think, what about all those mass millions of people murdered? But this treachery is beyond comprehension to reject Christ, with all that he had seen and all that he had heard, and I'll tell you, in church history, they have a very, very dark, dim view of this man Judas. From the very outset of the church, they put him in the lowest place. Some of you have heard of Dante, the Inferno, and there was a passage there about as he went went through hell that uh, he he found Judas. Uh, occupying the very lowest place with Lucifer himself. And he was enduring the most punishment possible that God is going to to deal out with him. And part of his punishment is that he was barred and shunned from even the darkest caverns of all the other damned people there in hell. He was below them. He was less than them in, in the position that he is in hell. Judas died, and he went to his own place, that's hell. A solitary place at the bottom of hell. That was the picture that Dante had, and I'm not sure that even he can draw us the best picture of what happened to him. When you think of hell, it is beyond our understanding, but it exists. This is where this man went. All the other apostles we see the glory of where they uh, are, and the message that they had carried is still going today. So, as we are in Luke 6, as Luke wrote this, he knew what happened to Judas. But you can think of the apostles when all this was happening at the Last Supper and this betrayal was going on, they had no clue that it was Judas that was going to do that. They were even thinking, is it I that's going to betray you? Nobody said, yeah, it's Judas, that bad guy. No, he looked good. I mean, he looked like, he probably looked like a CEO. He looked like a guy that would be, you know, in a perfect position to to run a church. And to go out and give the Gospel. But, you notice in Luke 6, in our passage today, in verse 16, you have Judas the son of James. Two is in the Apostles' list. And then Judas Iscariot. But he does stop there. What does he say? Who became a traitor. At that time, the Apostles didn't know that. Nobody knew it. So, here is probably one of the most painful records of a human life, maybe the most painful on the pages of Scripture, this Judas. Dark story, I think it's a perfect example of what the human heart is capable of doing. How far can the human heart go? Let's stand for a moment. And, and we'll read our passage. But we'll just take it back to verse 12. This is where we've been for a few weeks. And then we'll be done with the list of the apostles and move on and probably be moving towards the Beatitudes. Verse 12 of chapter 6 says, "...it was at this time that He went off to the mountain to pray." It's Jesus. "...He spent the whole night in prayer to God. When day came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them, whom He also named as apostles." one sent forth. Simon, whom He also named Peter, Andrew's brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and lastly, and in every list of the Gospels, He's last. Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. A tragic story we look at today. It is very humbling as we look upon one who knew Your truth. do knew it very well. And He totally spurned you. And turned you to the enemy. And even though that was part of the plan of God, at the same time, this man is held responsible for his nature, his deeds, his actions, his words, the things that he did. And Lord, it magnifies Your great grace because all of us would be like Judas if it weren't for You. We would spurn Your name and live for our own selfish lives. And so may we gain something out of this today, not just telling a a tragic story, but realizing what we've been delivered from and not take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Judas Iscariot, his name, like I said, it's a good name. It's a real good name. It's a shame that it can't really be used anymore. Just before him was Judas, the son of James. As a matter of fact, we have a book in the uh, Bible called the Book of Jude. Half brother of Christ wrote that. Same root word there. Judas was a really common name. Is a good name. It's the Greek form of Judah or Judah, Judas, Judah, or Jehovah leads or Yahweh leads. Maybe his name could be Judas, Jehovah, Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, Anyway, it is Yahweh leads, or God leads. You think about that, and you think, who named Him? Well, His mother and father named Him. What kind of people were they? Well, I would say they were probably godly people, first of all, being Jews. They probably knew who God was, They knew His Scripture, and they wanted to name their son God leads. I would tend to think that they probably could have been believers in, in this God. I, you'd like to think so? I don't know for sure. They're not in the Scripture here, but I would say that that shows a lot of hope. God leads. Folks, this is Judas. His name means God leads. also means something else. It means praise. If you turn back to Genesis 29.35, dealing with Hebrew here, 29.35 says... And she conceived again, bore son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Her son, of course, that's Abraham, right? And uh, what we have here is uh, one named praise. God leads. This is a name that's legendary now for betrayal. Such a good name, and is also uh, has a name that you could kind of separate from all the other Judases and the Judas that's also in the list that's just before him. He's called Judas Iscariot, and it's mainly thought up by most scholars that Iscariot is really saying that. Uh, 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 I think it's called Kiriath, is a village in, in uh, about 20 miles south of Jerusalem in Judea. So, Kiriath, uh, you have Judah Kiriath. He's of Kiriath. That's where he would probably lived. That's what most of them will agree with. Uh, is, is means a man. Judas, a man of Kiriath. So it's kind of interesting. God leads, here's praise, uh, a man of Kiriath. Oh, what's so big about that? Well, it's kind of interesting because if he's from Judea, you know, really the rest of the apostles were from Galilee. What do the Judeans think of the Galileans? So, you know, I'm sure there was pride on his part as compared to fishermen and farmers and tax collectors, so but you know we don't really see that mentioned, and he probably held it underneath. Well, then the next question is, is how in the world did this man ever end up as an apostle? And, and you have to think about how does this happen? Why, why is he here? Was Jesus kind of, you know, blindsided by this? I mean, was he surprised that this guy is there in, in the list? Well, Jesus chose him, and you remember that that night before he prayed, prayed for the Father's will. He's going to get it right, perfect every time. But he chose him. There was a reason why. It was to fulfill prophecy. That was the reason. That he chose. Now, there are a lot of other reasons, and we're going to get to those. That's what we're going to do today here. And by the end, we're going to have probably take about one minute and put it into application for our own lives. You say, How's that? <laughs> we'll see if we can get there. If I would get moving on, we would uh, probably finish this. He follows, even though Jesus chose him, it's out of his own volition. He wants to follow. I mean, he's not forced to follow. He's earthly credentials. Uh, He really doesn't have any. I mean, he's not a Pharisee. He's not a Sadducee. He's not uh, a rabbi. He's not a scribe. He's not a lawyer. So he doesn't have their credentials and neither do the other guys. All the 11, we've already seen them. We're going, what in the world are they doing there? But this guy, what's he doing here? I believe he was... Really attracted to what Christ stood for and what He spoke about. You know, He's talking about the kingdom. There was something about Christ, you know, that wanted Him to, to, to follow. So I don't think He started off at first any worse than the other guys. They all have their own little deals too. You ever noticed that everybody, everybody, even Christians have their own little deals that's rather bothersome. It's what church is about. We kind of rub shoulders and then we get to know each other. And It's what families are about. And there's always differences, aren't there? And you go back to the fall and you see what happened to relationships. We struggle. We struggle with these kind of things, but that's that's the way it is. We have expectations and then there are disappointments. And everybody gets disappointed and you might get disappointed every day. Something that you expected to happen that didn't. Got out this morning, walked outside after we had a nice fresh rain last night, and go ah, and then it's like the, it was the humidity, it was 130 percent, it just engulfed me. I was expecting oh nice cool morning, I'm gonna sit outside, (laughs) Uh, turn right back in, cool air is blowing, time for a cup of coffee. I need to wake up. I was disappointed. I had expectations. You know, those happen every day. It's just part of life. It's, it, well, the fall caused that. We have a lot of things that we're we just not are happy about. Well, you know, God's doing His thing because we all have our little deals that He's working out, though. And He uses things like that and all these struggles to make us more like Christ. Well that's what was happening with the motley group of apostles. Their lives were changing, weren't they? And we saw it we saw it progress, and especially in the book of Acts and from there on out. but something happened to Judas that didn't happen with the others he started learning that this kingdom it's not happening here yet. I'm here for this kingdom. I want it to come I'm tired of the Romans. Oppressing us. And there's going to be, you know, we're, we're the leaders here underneath the king. He's thinking that. But uh, the thing is, the rest of the disciples are too. <laughs> That's what they're thinking too. But he has a little bit different motive here. And he's convinced somewhere along the line that this is not paying off. I'm not seeing the payoff here. So I think he became increasingly more and more a son of hell as the weeks went on. And finally it leads to the sin that ranks in the top of the list for the heinous crimes in human history. It's worse than a thousand Hitlers, someone has said. How is that? He couldn't have been that bad. He just just turned Jesus into the authorities. He didn't kill him or anything. He followed Jesus out of selfish gain. He lived really for one thing. Maybe being famous, leading in the kingdom. How about money? That's re- We see him in a couple stories dealing with money. He's a thief. <laughs> and he also then takes money to get Jesus turned in. He expected a place in the kingdom. He was really disappointed. The thing is, he didn't see it in God's eyes, did he? The other apostles did as time went on. He regarded this Jewish Messiah as a monarch at first who would defeat the enemies of Judea, take the captives of the Roman occupation or send them off back to their land. Establish the kingdom and had been promised David. That's what he's looking for. That's what he wants. All for himself. He wants to be really a part of this. So he was chosen by Jesus also to fulfill prophecy. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he picked Judas. It's not like, wow, you know, he gets into it in about a year and a half. He goes, what was I doing? What was I thinking picking this guy? I know he's a thief. I know what he's going to do at the end, but somehow he fits perfectly into God's plan. He was always a devil because if you look in John six verse seventy, John six seventy. John 6, feeding the 5,000. People are excited, going crazy the next day. And Jesus really reveals what He's about, who He is. You have to eat of My flesh and take of My blood. You have to partake of Me. Take Me all in. It offended many of the people that followed Him. What did they do? Verse 66 says, As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew. And we're not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Now he turns to the apostles. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a confession. That's a powerful confession. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you? The twelve. And and that means he was chosen by Jesus. And yet one of you is a devil, a diabolos. One of you is a devil. This is as early as John six. Kinda of early in the ministry That's kind of interesting. One of you is a devil. As time goes on, I think they probably kind of forget about Do they even understand this? No. Verse 71 Now he meant Judas. John writes this later. John didn't know it at the time. The son of Simon Iscariot. Boy, I mean, he. it tells him exactly who he is. He's the son of Simon from Kiriath in Judea, 20 miles south of Jerusalem. For he, one of the twelve, I think it's really clear who this is, was going to betray him. I think John finds that interesting. There have been a lot of people that just left because they found out that Jesus was saying more than they could really handle. You have to give up your life. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. He says in many other messages. You have to trust in me. Trust in me alone. It's not about you. It's about me. You have to eat of me. Partake of me. I am the way, the truth, the life. And then comes the Father, but through me. They left. Judas stays. (laughs) That's pretty remarkable that he stays. You think, okay, he should have left at that time. No, he stays. He still has a material view of the Messiah. I do want to tell you, God planned this. He controls it because it's useful to God, the triune God. But I do want to tell you, this is not determinism where He makes somebody do sin because He cannot tempt anyone to sin. He did not... It's still Judas' choice to do what he did, but yet God had planned this. And I know you're tri- your head is spinning in that one. <laughs> and you cannot reach the mighty thoughts and mind of God Ultimately, It's the same way with He elects some others He does not. Right? The sovereignty God, predestination, it goes beyond us. We have to believe it. And yes, we believe in salvation by grace alone. And He's the one that chooses us, brings us. Yes, we say yes, but why do we say yes? We say yes because He's the one who puts it in us to even do that because without Him we are nothing. We cannot think godly thoughts without The Holy Spirit who comes in and convicts us and then He leads us. But we're still held responsible for our own actions, aren't we? Well, so is Judas. And so is all the ones who killed Jesus as found in Acts 2. It was God's plan. But yet, these men did it. They were the Jews. They were the Romans. They were us. Because it was our sin that put Him on the cross, wasn't it? So anyway, woe to that man though that betrayed by whom Jesus was betrayed. You know, we can't understand all of this. Like I say, it does go past our minds because the high thoughts of God, you just have to believe it. This is what He said. Because we cannot ultimately get into that godly depth but yet we try to get as much as we can and of course John Calvin always said as he believed in the sovereignty of God that he believed in it absolutely but at the same time he says we must be careful when we get into this realm and of course one can get prideful and and, uh, Start thinking, you know, good of ourselves, and he elected us because we did something. And then you're going away from grace. Or you, you get into this kind of thing about this lostness of Judas. We have to be careful where we tread. But at the same time, Calvin wanted to go into the as far as he could go. He wanted to go into the cave and go back as far as he could without drowning. You know, <laughs> there might be a flood coming. Be careful how far you go, though because we can only go as far as Scriptures go, and as far as the Spirit leads us, and so we can say, though, this fits into the framework of God. This is a purpose of God, and then let it go. This man is held for what he did. He's guilty for his own sins, isn't he? He is damned for his own rejection And yet the purposes of God come to pass. This was to fulfill prophecy. Turn to Psalm 55, verse 12 through 14. This is a prophecy of Judas. But it's dealing with David first, in the first context. But ultimately, it's leading to something much further. Psalm 55, verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. If it's an enemy, you know, but nor it is one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Someone has really shown that. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng this happened to David there was treachery on David but when you look at this it also fulfills Christ and his thoughts toward this one who was really a friend of Jesus this is the worst kind is like if it's an enemy I'm not surprised by that you know in human terms but if it's a friend who turns on you you've had that people have had that and it really hurts. It stabs, doesn't it? To have the best of friends, the most intimate, and they turn on you. Well, there's another psalm. Psalm 41, verse 9. This was written a thousand years before Judas. This has to be fulfilled. That's why Jesus chooses this guy. 41, 9 even my close friend in whom I trusted, look at this, who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. To fulfill a prophecy. He's a close friend. He trusted in Him. I want to tell you something. This is interesting. Look at this verse. My close friend. I, I, it's like in his human way, he's putting forth, you know, I, I trusted you. David did this, but this is even more so Jesus and Judas. He ate my bread. At the Last Supper, Jesus dipped it and gave it to him. Well, we know why, because he's showing a couple of disciples there that, hey, he eats this. He's the one. But yet, this also means he's giving it to one who was very close to him, he's giving it to a guest. And then it says, He lifted up His heel against Me. The most intimate thing to give somebody from the the, sop, the the dip and just hand it to Him. And He lifted up His heel against Me. This is like somebody sitting down on the ground and somebody coming up from behind them lifting up their leg and as a person is sitting right here supposedly like their best friend, they come up there, boom! And pop them as hard as they can on the neck. He lifted up His heel against me. Now, in the Hebrew, that's the literal meaning of that. I think that's rather interesting. That's the way it felt to Jesus when Judas did what he did. Even though Jesus knew that He was going to do that. And Jesus even chose him to fulfill this prophecy. This is staggering, folks. The ways of God are not our ways. We would never have chosen this guy. Never in a million years would I have chosen this guy. But this has to be done. It is in God's plan. We go, why? We won't get to the fullest answer today. But I hope some of these things will help us, though. There are a lot of things here that are helpful. We're here to be edified, right? We're here to give glory to God, so as we read this Word, may, may it truly be honoring because we are, we are on holy ground. Zechariah 11, another prophecy. Chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. I said to them, If it's good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out thirty shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the thirty shekels of silver, threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. We know what Judas did. He sold Jesus for the price of a slave, 30 shekels of silver. That's not really that much. That's what he got out of Jesus, the price of a slave. That's what they paid him. When he really becomes guilty, he goes back to the house of the Lord, throws in the 30 shekels of silver. They don't want to take that. That's blood money, so they don't take it back and it it really buys an area for a, a... a grave area, a cemetery for the poor. And so we see that in the book of Acts that he bought that. I guess his blood money did and it was under the name of Judas. But This is all prophesied, folks. We looked at the Psalms. We looked at Zechariah there. Isn't that pretty incredible? Look at Luke 22, verse 21 and 22. There is so much about this Judas that we just can't pass it by. Luke 22, verse 21 and 22. This is the Lord's Supper being instituted. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going As it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began discussing among themselves which one of them might be who was going to do this thing. And I'm sure some of them are thinking, oh, I hope it's not me. Matthew 26, 23. Passover again, same night, See, same thing happening. He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who was betraying Him, said, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. I think that's at the time when Judas left. There are different opinions on this, but I think that's when he left. Because in the other Gospels, you know, know, go and do what you do quickly. Get on out of here. Go. Do it. And then they have the Passover Supper. That's called the Lord's Supper today in that Last Supper. So when we take communion, that was what they were doing in the Passover. And it comes to the part, it is for believers. <clears throat> believers only, right? And so, that set up. <clears throat> President, <clears throat> I sang a song today that was really, really, really high. <laughs> and I think the payoff is happening now. <laughs> The betrayal of the voice. Well, that was number one. Second one, that is the longest one that I have of these. We'll go quicker. But that sets it up. I'm just showing how evil of a man this is. Because sometimes we like... You know, the, the liberals, you know what they like to do with Judas? He's not. He wasn't really a bad guy. Matter of fact, they'll say he was a good guy and he loved Jesus, and uh, they'll either deny what he did or just say that was, you know, this is what he was supposed to do. And but yet we uh, we are to love him, and he'll be in the kingdom of God too. Of course, those people don't believe in the God's word, do they? As we look at these passages, we're seeing how God condemns this man. And we can't deny it. John seventeen twelve. Now this is fascinating. This is the great prayer. This is the prayer of Jesus. This is the intercessory prayer. This is the night before He's crucified. He's praying for the disciples that they would be one. That... Uh, they would be guarded by the, the Father and the Father would guard them. They are the ones that are given by the Father to the Son. This, that's what this prayer is about and it's also for us. It's for the church. He says in verse 12, While I was with them, I was keeping them in Your name, which You have given Me, "...and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition." So that the Scripture would be fulfilled. He has to mention that. He says, I guarded them, protect them, they're they're all mine. Not one of them perishes. But then he also has to include, and he's done this before, But there's one that is not. And he will perish. He will be damned. He is called what there? The son of perdition. That's the name of our message today. The son of perdition. And that's where you see it in John 17. This great prayer of Jesus and yet there's a dark stain here. It's Judas. Uh, son of perdition. Son means nature. It's very character. Nature. Perdition is the word for destruction. Waste. Ruin. Loss. Loss damnation. He was a son of destruction. He was a son of ruin. He was a son of waste. He, was a, he had the character, he had the nature of destruction. The son of perdition. That's what Jesus says in this great prayer. Judas was never a son of God. Never. Never was the plan of God. He was a son of perdition. John six, seventy and seventy one, we read that earlier. He was a devil from the beginning. He's a devil. He's Diabolos. He's a son of perdition. There's I think there's a son of perdition in Second Thessalonians that's dealing with the Antichrist. He was never a son of God. What a what a terrible blight on the plan. No. This is the plan. Scripture has to be fulfilled. We've been seeing that, haven't we? Let's go a little further. Let's expose this traitor even more. Jesus did. We'll just see what he how he exposed him. John twelve one through eight. You have Mary here anointing Christ. Therefore, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, Ah, oh, he, he raised Lazarus, didn't he, from the dead? Oh, what a witness he was. He was walking around. He had, he had been dead for three days, and he's walking around in Bethany. What kind of testimony is that? How did he, he die? How did he. Why is he walking around here? Everybody knew. Pharisees knew. He's a walking testimony. Every time everybody sees him, that's the guy who died. And then he stunk. You know, for three days. And here, what's He doing? Well, Jesus really did that for a purpose, didn't He? Um, They came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. You know, that guy. Uh, So they made Him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with Him. (laughs) The dead man arose. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, the best, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of His disciples, one of His disciples, who was intending to betray him, John is writing this after the fact of the matter, he didn't know it at the time, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? A year's worth of wages. However much you make in a year, can you imagine taking all of that and saying, okay, I saved all this up, I have scrimped, I've done this. Here's my year's salary. I've lived on actually almost nothing. And I'm going to use that for perfume. And I'm going to use it for the best time that I possibly can. This one worships Jesus. Tell you what, that's extravagant worship. That's outlandish. Nobody does this. And so, Judas, who is the one who is the treasurer? <laughs> of this group of disciples, Jesus, he's the one that carries the money. He says, "What are you doing? You know, look at the that could be used for the poor. We could give that to the poor. Of course, we know how Jesus responds to that john twelve six now he had said this not because he was concerned about the poor. But because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. That means he did this ongoing. Remember, he's about himself. He's about money. It's all about him. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone. He rebukes him there. So that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. He's not saying it's bad to give money to the poor. He says, yes, you can do that, but right now, I am here. This is what's going to be done. She is. This is a picture of worship. And you have the anti-worship here of Judas. I think Jesus exposed his motives here. Uh the money box and he's stealing from it. What what kind of person does that? A traveling band of evangelists here. They're all in this together. (coughs) They're not bringing in a lot of money. But he's stealing out of it. His friends and from the Messiah. What kind of man is this guy? What in the world is he doing with the apostles? He's a wretched man. So we don't take this lightly, do we? John is writing this all in retrospect, and every time he has a chance to really reveal who this guy is, he really puts it forth, doesn't he? Remember, he is a son of thunder, but yet he also is the one whom Jesus loved, and he writes a lot about love. But whenever it comes to justice and God's justice and sin of man, he brings it forth right here. They were good friends all the all the time through. They traveled together. They, you know, they work together. I guess you could say. I think Judas is unmasked here. At least Jesus shows this, uh, and and to us right now. Uh, he says, "Let her alone." It's, it's like you're you're out of line. He could have fallen right there on on Jesus' feet there and repented. You don't see that. I think he's a very prideful man. So let's look at humility as we look at John 13. John 13.18 is the key verse. I do not speak of all of you. He said this before, hasn't He? I know the ones I have chosen. We do not choose Christ. He chooses us. John 15. But it is the Scripture... That must be fulfilled. He who eats My bread has lifted up His heel against Me. Ah, oh, does that sound familiar? Did we read that earlier? And we we spoke about the heel and, and the bread. And He actually did that you know, to Him. John 13, you know what it's about. We're not going to read that whole section. During, uh, of course, there was the Supper. This is the Passover. Uh, Jesus knows that His hour has come uh, but he wants to get in a, a real big lesson that they need to learn because every one of them thinks that they need to be first in the kingdom, right underneath Christ. You know, James and John are right there, the sons of thunder. Yeah, yeah. They get their mother in there, you know, to 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 lift them up, and and the rest of them, they were all arguing. They're all guilty, right? Christ washes their feet that night. Washes their feet. I mean. This is the lowest of the lowest of the lowest slaves that do this. And Of course, he who has bathed, in verse 17, needs only to wash his feet. Peter was saying, bathe all of me then, you know, and he says, listen, the feet there, you know, okay. You guys are completely clean that was a kind of a spiritual lesson but it was a lesson on humility and everything and he adds you're clean but not all of you there's one who's not but you know what he washed his feet he washed Judas's feet knowing full well what he's going to do that night wow i think that is i think that is grace mercy uh, amazing! That's coming from Jesus. If you would know, somebody was going to turn you in for something of, of this kind of act. This world's worst sinner. think he's the best hypocrite there. Is. What an actor! He had everybody fooled except Jesus. He lets Jesus wash his feet, knowing full well he's going to do. And he lets you think he thought, no, Jesus, no, I, 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 don't. No, I, I really don't want that to happen right now. Cause you know. He doesn't feel any guilt. Can you imagine? This guy is. Who is this guy? A hard heart. Jesus keeps getting more and more direct. Verse twenty through thirty. And of course, in that section, he says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me." Of course, the disciples are looking at each other. They they don't know what he's speaking about it is I, verse 25, is it I? I mean, they didn't suspect Judas. That's And then verse 26, Jesus answers, that's the one for whom I will dip the morsel and give it to him. We've already seen the prophecy of this. He rebukes him, says one of you is unclean. One of you is going to betray me. Verse 27, after the morsel Satan, who had already been putting this in the mind of Judas, according to verse 2, entered into Him. There we go. The day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. It's shut. Not that He's going to be a believer, but the same thing. This is now done. I mean, there's no turning back. He's going to do what He's going to do. Divine mercy expired, if you want to put it in human terms. mercy's over. Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. Go. Get out of here. And we also see that after receiving the morsel, He goes out immediately and it was night. It's not only night on the outside, I think it was night on His soul. The door is shut. It was night forever. And Jesus is troubled says there, Jesus is troubled. The fact that this man is wicked, this man is wretched. He was polluting the very fellowship right there with them. Jesus is agitated in that sense. The ingratitude, the rejection of this man after three years. This is how evil this man is. He's troubled by that. same time, he's one of who has been showing mercy all along. Matthew twenty six sixteen. From then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. See what what's happening there. Uh, this is this is what's going through his mind for sure. Now he you know he's had these thoughts all along and now it's it's kicked into gear. Mark 14.11. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give Him money and He began seeking how to betray Him at an opportune time. Uh, this, uh, the, the chief priests and such are, are there. And they were glad that He was there. One of the disciples... Can you imagine? One of His own men. And there He is. They're happy about this and they give Him the money at an opportune time. So we see what he's been doing and it gets ready and then in John 18 we get the arrest. You, you're familiar with the story, I'm just cutting uh, short the because of the time but... Um the Roman cohort after Jesus goes out, leads the disciples. Uh, you know the garden. He goes to pray and such. And they're come, then after all this, uh, these amount of hours, the Roman cohort of 600 men—it's uh, a big Roman battalion—coming for the Jesus and the eleven men. They're expecting some kind of a little uh, war, maybe. Right? Uh, uh, really, this many men, hundreds of men, and. You remember, in uh, where, where the thought is, is as he's standing and Judas is standing with the crowd, and you remember that he said, "I am." What happened? Boom! They all went to the ground. Wow! There's there's the power of God every one of them you know who went down to judas with the crowd judas knew about the power of christ and he's yet denying he's going to fulfill what he was going to do and of course and we know about that that kiss matthew 26 47 and 48 getting right to the end here aren't we Matthew 26, 47 and 48 while he was still speaking behold Judas one of the twelve came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priest and elders of the people now he who was betraying him gave them a sign he said okay whomever I kiss he's the one and then sees him boy he's got this all planned out doesn't he this guy's rotten to the core His nature is a son of destruction. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus, all smiling, and said, Hail, Rabbi, teacher, and kissed Him. Jesus said to him, Friend. What? Friend. Do what you have come for. And they came, laid hands on Jesus, and seized Him. Kissed Jesus. Boy, what a diabolical way to do this. He has no conscience. And, and in the Greek, it means He repeatedly kissed Him. And, and in the Eastern world, you know, this is a mark of homage. It's a mark of love. It's a mark of affection. It's intimacy. It, it, you know, He's faking His innocence here by kissing Jesus as He kisses Him. He didn't repent. He wasn't, you know, he later on became sorry for what he did. He became guilty. But he didn't seek mercy of God. No repentance. He didn't seek deliverance from Satan. Remember, this guy was possessed by Satan. Entered. Satan entered. Oh, uh, you know, if I just give the money back, I can pacify my conscience. So he goes and does the thirty pieces of silver. Zechariah 11:12. Uh, this is the price of a slave. The very last point here, the seventh point, we end on this. A tragic end. Well, know it. Uh, scripture says in Matthew, they bought a field from the potter. The uh, leaders, of the Jewish people there, the temple. They turned that field into a cemetery. The, this man acquired a field. It says in Acts. 118 it was it wasn't that Judas bought the field but it was that money that was using um, uh, in, in in acts 1 trying to finish this up at verse uh, 16. Brethren, Scripture had to be fulfilled. Isn't that what it's all about? Scripture has to be fulfilled. Which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. Remember the Psalms that we read earlier? Psalm 55, Psalm 41. David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. They need a twelfth apostle. That's what Peter's doing here. And he's going back on the history. And he says, Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. Now somebody said, Well, he went out and hanged himself. Yeah? Yeah. In Acts it says here that he, he fell headlong. Judas didn't do a very good job of hanging himself probably over a precipice It's probably quite a rocky precipice quite a drop and he kind of failed as he takes his rope and puts it up on the tree maybe the branch breaks rope breaks, something anyway, and down he goes to the rocky end of his life and his guts just spatter all over the place that is humility (laughs) humility the kind of humility we're talking about—he, you know, he put himself up highly but where he is at. Look where he ends up at. That's tragic, sad. So he plunged to the very depths, and his body burst open. That's the last thing ever said about Judas. What an unbelievable tragedy! He betrayed the most significant man who ever lived on this earth. That's why he did such a awesomely terrible thing. The money he got ends up in a burial place for the most insignificant people that the world sees see, the, the poor. What's this mean to us? The opportunity that we have. Look at the opportunity that Judas had to serve Christ. Don't betray Christ by losing the opportunity. He had it. He lost it. How about the privilege that we have to be in Christ? To worship and serve Him. He wasted that privilege. The greatest privilege that one could ever have. Ever. The love of money. This love of money will become the what? The root of all evil. How about the patient love of Christ all through here? Even up to the very end, he calls him friend. Jesus could have done, he could have vanished like that. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to do, right? That wasn't in the plan. Very patient, Jesus was. <clears throat> and lastly, the hypocrisy how deceitful he was hypocrisy means which means to to act to act out something that you're not to put a mask on is the idea the, an actor that's what Judas was and he was a great actor he was a broken actor on a broken stage and he never will experience the mercy of God should this make us think about how privileged we are and how merciful God is. How loving, how gracious. And it magnified Jesus and it portrayed one who is lost to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time of worship. A very humbling story to all of us. It's a story that is true. And it shows what happens to one when they know You and yet they do not want You. That's what it comes down to. Thank You, Lord, for choosing Your people to be with You forever and eternity. In Your Son's name, Amen.